Welcome back to the Go in the Match podcast. Today I'm joined by a ground hopper, Matt Barnes. Matt has seen football played in 18 different countries, the furthest being Barbados, and it's fair to say he's going to have some great stories. Matt, thanks for giving me your time today, mate, and thanks for coming on the podcast. No, thanks for having me, Mike. It's always nice to talk to someone who's actually interested. You know, I've been the ear of my girlfriend for far too long now, and she doesn't know what I'm talking about. So, you know, hopefully I can uh, impart <laughs> some wisdom. <laughs> Okay, so just for the listeners that may not know what a ground hopper is, can you kind of give us some understanding as to what it entails? Yeah, I mean, I could, I could certainly try. I mean, the short and easy answer is it's someone who goes to as many different grounds to see as many different games in as many different places. But to my mind, it's, you know, it's a bit more of a, it's almost more of a cult without the, you know, brainwashing and that, or arguably there is some of that. I mean, everyone's got their own rules and aims. You know, you may have heard of doing the 92, which is the aim of seeing every, every stadium in the UK pyramid down, down to the league two others, you know, there's, there's a really good book by a guy called Matt Walker, who in one season tried to see, uh, a match in 55 all 55 of UEFA's nations in one season which yeah he did it great book spoiler alert but yeah I mean for me part of the attraction for me is just going to places that aren't on the tourist trail you know there's yeah. the many city breaks in Poznan that people go on or Luxembourg some of these over overlooked places really I mean and it is it is really a global phenomenon I did I did a bit of a deep dive an article I sort of wrote I surveyed about 200 people ground hoppers you know where they're from why they do it and there was people from Trinidad and Tobago Liechtenstein Argentina and obviously Germany France and all the usual so you know there's apps out there there's books out there it's 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 a big thing and it's you know it's a wonderful part part of life to be involved in I think yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, like, I've seen a couple of things on ground hoppers and you kind of don't really understand it as much. But when you put it like that, you know, you, you, the things you must see must be incredible. So what kind of, um, what got, got you into that? And, you know, is that something you've always wanted to do or did it kind of come about quite randomly? Um, to be honest, I sort of stumbled upon it. I, did, I didn't even know. I'd never heard of ground hopping or anything. I've always been into football, you know, watched it from, since I was a kid, sort of watching, you know, uh, James Richardson on in, in Football Italia on Channel 4 sort of opened my eyes to this world of football out there. But every time I'd go on a city break, you know, I'd drag my long-suffering girlfriend along to a stadium tour and, you know, show her the wonderful architecture of the San Siro or whatever. But then I sort of thought, well, I've come all this way. Why don't I go to a game? So, you know, it was in Valencia one cold January afternoon and I saw that Valencia were playing a Espanol I think it was and uh, I was like you know get some tickets dirt cheap Sunday morning you know climbed up the steps of the Mastaya sort of stopping for air along the way you know <gasps> gasping up the stairs and I was just, I just sat there and took it all in you know you've got these old men eating sunflower seeds and just a completely different atmosphere to you know anything yeah. I'm used to in this country yeah. and then from there I had a day and a half annual leave left towards the end of the year and I sort of thought okay what can I do with this booked a flight to Rotterdam went and saw Feyenoord and you know that was a, a completely different experience you know bucketing it down with rain I went to the training ground where all the ultras pre-drink there's fireworks going off and the rain's belting down flares and everything else and then all of a sudden I was hooked you know okay so Spain is different to Holland where else can I go and then you know 18 countries later and I'm still still hooked 
Yeah, so it's almost like a, like a legal drug. You you wanting to see it, all these different atmospheres and how they how they you know chop and change and the fan base and like you touch on the culture there and so is that both those things together when you go and experience these grounds you know they're like do they make that experience for you not just the football in the ninety minutes but the whole the whole you know trip? Yeah, exactly that. I mean. Part of the part of the survey I did is one of the reasons why I did this article that you know I'll talk about a bit more later is football fans in general. If you're not a football fan, a match-going fan, you you do get a bit of a bad rep. People think, especially you know the England away brigade, people go out there have a booze and have a fight, and yeah. that's a small minority. But sixty percent of people I I surveyed, culture was the main driver of why they go there something new you know it was only two percent for the quality of football and you know that's exactly right I mean culture is Gabrielli Marcotti the Italian journalist he said something and it really resonated with me 90 minutes gets in the way of a good a good bit of wine a good bit of food some museums you know and I'm not a, an art buff or anything like that but it is it being in a city or a town where it's different to what you're used to, it's just, it, it just adds to it so much. I'll give you an example. When I went to Barbados and I was lucky enough to go there and it, you know, I don't need to tell anyone it's Caribbean, it's, it's paradise, but I saw that there was a, a couple of football matches on. It's a, a, the Capelli Cup, whatever on earth that was, two teams I'd never heard of, but I thought, okay, why not? Let me let me see. You know, maybe I can write an article on this. So I emailed uh, the Barbados sort of FA, and and the president replied to me. His name's Randy. He, yeah. So it was the the president of the, the Barbados FA, and I kind of likened him to a, a Bayesian Michel Platini, just without the corruption. You know, he used to be a footballer, worked his way up. You know, and then so the day came, left my girlfriend in the hotel, got in the rental car, and sort of. Drive, drove there, stopped off at the National Stadium and there were these, you know, kids just kicking a ball outside it and it makes you think of like, you know, yeah. the 70s or something, you know, kids playing about outside Wembley that just doesn't happen anymore. And then when you finally get into this, this stadium, is a grandiose term, it's sort of some bleachers, wildy turf, and you've got like jerk chicken being cooked and people drinking rum and smoking other illicit substances and then I'm standing there and let's put it this way I don't look Caribbean so I sort of stood out a bit and this chap approached me and started talking to me and I realized it was the president of the Barbados FA and we're having a chat and it's just this culture you know that you just you just feel when you're there because you're with normal people we'll say you know you're not necessarily doing the touristy things but it'll really get an experience for that country and that city i think football really is underrated it does give that to you yeah it's like every episode i've done with you know all the different teams when you do the away days especially you're not really the 90 minutes like you say gets in the way and it is about going trying the different cuisine and seeing the sights and these different places and experiencing you know, like the arse end of nowhere, really, that you would never go to if, you know, the football wasn't on. So, like, you know, I completely agree with you there. So when you're planning the, to visit these grounds, how do you arrange that? Because does it work like, so one week you will be at the San Siro watching Milan and the next week you'll be at Vicarage Road watching Watford or do you have to plan it out accordingly? Yeah, I mean, no, that's, that's exactly how it could happen. I mean, generally what I do is, you know, before COVID, 
in my sort of glory days, I was get I was lucky enough to sort of go every six weeks on a sort of European football weekend, and in between that, you know, I'd just go wherever basically. So how I plan it is when you know that's probably the most important thing to consider you know if you're going in the summer there's only a few countries that have summer leagues republic of ireland the baltics you know latvia estonia that kind of thing and sweden but if you're going in the winter obviously you've got your more traditional yeah uh, european outposts but then also you know i look at where you know so is there a chance of getting two matches in three matches holland's great for that because it's relatively small country there's a great railway network as is germany you know the, the Ruhr region is really really good because you know you can fly into dusseldorf and you can get schalke leverkusen dortmund gladbach all those teams you know on a wonderful train network yeah. But then, then it comes down to cost of flights. How I tend to do it is, you know, I will generally go to any game. I'll, I'll be dictated to by the cost of flights. You know, you go on to Skyscanner. Other other comparisons are available. And there's, you know, a number of budget airlines that will offer you £10 return. You know, Greta Thunberg won't like me for saying it. But, you know, if you can do those, if you can do those flights. And Air Miles. Yeah. Air Miles is a, is a wonderful, wonderful thing I got into collecting that's given me, a, you know, a number of, quote unquote free flights but then you know if it's a simple sort of midweek non-league trip there's a great app out there called footballogy it used to be called the ground top app it's two swedish guys i think made it and basically what you could do is go onto the app you could do nearby fixtures 50 kilometers 100 kilometers or whatever and it tells you literally the nearest game to where you are now so you can find all these little non-league games that you may may never have heard of so really it's all about when do you want to go and just go where the wind takes you really mm. So of all the grounds that you've been to, what was the best and maybe not the worst atmosphere, but the one that disappointed you the most? Yeah, uh, I'll start with the worst first. Well, disappointing, like you say. Yeah. The Emirates is never a good atmosphere as an Arsenal fan. I, should, I shouldn't say that, but it's, it's true. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I went to uh, Brussels to see Anderlecht in a Europa League game. And it was it was against Dinamo Zagreb and they brought their bad blue boys, as they call them. And I thought, you know, this could be this could be quite lively. But it was pre-Vincent Company before mm-hmm. he returned to manage Anderlecht. And it was just a really sour atmosphere around the club. You know, tickets were like 10 euros, but it was like a third fall. And it was just no atmosphere. And it had a real negative vibe around it. But... The, the food was good. Belgians do a great sausage. They do some wonderful Belgian beer. So, you know, sw- swings and roundabouts. <laughs> in, in terms of best, wow, well, where do you start? I mean, I very recently, just uh, last month, in fact, I managed just about to get to uh, Slovakia. It was one of the only countries that Brits could actually fly to and actually had football. And uh, I, I was initially meant to go to see Slovan Bratislava in the capital, but there was sort of a COVID case. That game got called off and it was chaos, last minute planning, blah, blah, blah. But I ended up in a, a small town about an hour outside of Bratislava. I won't try and pronounce it because if you've got any Hungarian listeners and it is, it's a Hungarian town, I'll, I'll, we'll offend them. But it's the, the team is um, DAC 1904. And the, it's an interesting town. It's right on the border of Hungary and there's, the road signs are in two different languages, Hungarian and Slovakian. So that's double the languages I can't speak so that's really helpful but it was like a local derby versus Spartak Trnava and uh, like I say they've got a real Hungarian influence I think the Hungarian president bankrolls this club so they're sort of an upwardly mobile club but um, 
it was, you know, this was roughly a 12,000 capacity stadium but because of the COVID regulations, it was cut down to half. But the, the wall of noise that roughly 6,000 people made with flares and really? banners and all that was just incredible, incredible. Generally, Eastern Europe is pretty good for atmosphere. Well, Lech Poznan also went to and massive stadium that they redid for Euro 2000 and can't remember. But, you know, they sort of, it was a third fall yet again, but just pyro and just constant drumming that you just, you just don't get in England, really. Yeah. Although I know Liverpool are trying to bring that ultra culture in somewhat. And it's, <laughs> you know, it's pretty good. They've got the flares and the LA, 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 et cetera. So we're, we're trying, but yeah. You've been to some pretty hostile places. You know, you touched on there, Eastern Europe. You've been to Besiktas, Luxembourg. You must have some good stories to share and, you know, a lot of those places are pretty moody, as it were. So, have you got any good ones for us? Yeah, I must say I've had a few hairy moments. Like there are times when I'm sort of standing in the middle of a terrace, and I feel a bit like a sort of Louis Theroux type character. Like at any moment, it could, it could, it could turn naughty. There's a number of occasions. One time, quite early on in my ground hopping, when I was a bit naive, I guess, I bought a ticket to see Basel in in Switzerland. And I sort of did research where the best atmosphere was in that terrace. So I ended up bang smack in the middle of the ultras and I didn't know any better. They were all wearing their sort of matching navy blue, like rain jackets. And I walk in, you know, completely unwelcome, start taking pictures of them. And then this big geezer basically marched down the terrace and started speaking to me in Swiss. I was like, what's going on? What's going on? You have to delete the pictures. Otherwise, you know, we'll throw you out. I was like, bloody hell. So I deleted them jokes on him i got the last laugh i got him out of my, my recycling bin later and put him on instagram but nonetheless you learn these things there's that sort of unspeaking code about the ultras it's so murder you know you can't just walk in that was my fault i learned that but there was another time where ultras were a bit more friendly luxembourg they were playing uh lithuania in a euro 2020 qualifier really low quality match but you know kind of quite simply close together those countries uh, not a million miles away, not a million miles away, but you know, Luxembourg, really, really well off country, you know, really high GDP per capita. And you know, walk down the high street and there's Gucci and Prada and all this. So it was a, a real culture clash going there. And I sort of emailed the Luxembourg national team sort of fan coordinator. I was like, I'm coming from England, you know, I'd love, I'd love to sort of, you know, have a drink with you. I'll buy you a beer, whatever, just sort of see what it's like. Yeah. Next thing I know, we're marching through the, the Luxembourg city, about 40, 50 deep, flares, drums, and we've got a police escort. And then we sort of, there's this guy at the front, the capo, and he's just sort of stopping us at each point. And, you know, he's like the ringleader. And then before you know it, we sort of stopped for five, 10 minutes, didn't know what was going on. And one guy explained to me, we were meant to have a meet with the Lithuanian fans, but they didn't turn up. And I'm looking around, I'm, like, I'm not going to fight Lithuania. I'm not going to fight anyone. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at these big guys. I'm thinking, okay, if I just stand at the back, uh, it shouldn't be too bad. But then the police came and escorted us all the way to the ground. And that was a bit tasty. But then there's, there was another occasion where almost got arrested by the, the counter-terrorism police in uh, Tilburg in the Netherlands. So, so I went to see Willem Tway and the Netherlands ultras are quite, quite lively anyway. So I'm standing in the terrace. This time I deliberately booked a ticket, not with the ultras, but it turns out it, the ultras spilled round. But this guy was talking to me and he was sort of saying, 
they're the guys that make the atmosphere pointed at pointed at himself and we're the guys that make the fights oh, jesus how, why does this keep happening to me you know but anyway so i was you know taking pictures of the match watching the game sort of five minutes before full time i had to catch a train back to eindhoven as i'm leaving the dutch counter-terrorism police stopped me and sort of said you've been taking pictures we think you've been doing hostile reconnaissance you know i'm like whoa 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 <laughs> you know that's definitely not the case so i got, got my passport out they, they rung some checks through god knows who to interpol or british police i've no idea but after about 15 minutes of thinking you know, i'm going to spend at least a night in a dutch cell here they thankfully let me go and sent me on my way but yeah there's there's been a few moments where you know sort of squeaky bum time to put it to put it lightly <laughs> so i believe you're an arsenal fan obviously you'll have a passion for arsenal but is there any clubs or stadiums you've been to where you felt like you have a similar passion or you know after you've experienced the, the whole trip you've got a bit of a soft spot for them yeah so i mean for the 90 minutes i'm there 90 plus minutes i'm i'm a fan of any club really you know i'm, I'm anyone's for the right price but there's been a few clubs I've seen where I've come away and I sort of thought, you know, they're, they're doing things the right way. I remember when I went to see um, Enfield Town. You know, I'm not local to Enfield. I've got no affiliations with them. But I went to see them in this, in this trophy. It was a Brian Lomax Cup and they were playing FC United of Manchester. And the, the idea of it was fan-owned clubs, you know, and I really like that sort of ethos. You know, Germany do it really, really well with the exception of the energy drink merchants. You know, they've got that sort of 50 plus one system where you know and it just it just makes the fans closer to the club especially if you know they're, they're shareholders or part owners or whatever you want to put it and they've got a beautiful art deco stadium i think it's great to listed if anyone's near enfield get yourself down there it's definitely worth it and valencia as well because i remember also that's my first european football trip and i remember watching them back in the early 2000s you know david via pablo Aymar, vicente and but now you know, you're looking at them in a completely different story. They've got a dodgy owner in Peter yeah. Lim. All their players are going on strike. Their new stadium isn't finished. Their best players are leaving. But, yeah, there, there are a couple of clubs I guess I'll always have a soft spot for just because, you know, they mean something. There's that sort of yeah sentimental attraction, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, if I put myself in your shoes, you know, going to those clubs that have that tradition. So, you know, coming away from your PSGs, your Leipzig's, you know, even Man City to a certain extent, um, you know, you must get so much more from going and seeing those sort of more traditional clubs than you do those, you know, the money-driven ones, should we say. Yeah, no, I mean, you're spot on. I mean, I went to see um, Bayern Munich and I know, you know, they're, they're a super club. They've done things the right way. It just felt a bit sort of sterile and touristy, whereas when you go and see either a fan-owned club or sort of, middle of the table club in a working class area it just feels a bit more you know it just feels a bit more real and gritty and less sanitized less corporate i guess so finally the podcast is centered around going the match so with every podcast we're doing i want to end by asking what are your top three favorite matches you've been to so it doesn't have to be based on the 90 minutes itself it can be something that happened during the day or for whatever reason so i'm sure you've got plenty there yeah, it's a tricky one. I guess in no particular order, I think it was, to be honest, I don't even know what year it is, <laughs> this year, let alone when it was, but uh, it was the UEFA Nations League. Uh, I went to see uh, Portugal, Switzerland in Porto at the Estadio de Dragao and 
I don't know if you've ever been, but Porto is a wonderful, wonderful city. It really is. Uh, they do this sandwich called the, the Franceschino, which will give you a heart attack. So it's basically toasted bread. It's got cheese. It's got beef. It's got everything drizzled over in beer sauce and cheese sauce. Wonderful delicacy. This is what I mean about the culture, right? You go there for the culture. But the, the match itself, you know, is uh, Portugal. Got to see one of the greats in Ronaldo. He scored a hat trick. But this is going to sound really strange, but the highlight... With the exception of the the vocal minority of England fans that had snuck in, you know, typical certain England fans didn't trying to cause trouble or whatever. There was this like Portuguese dad and his son, and his son was just entranced by watching, you know, his hero, his icon. And you, could, I could imagine, you know, when I was that age, if I went to see, I don't know, Thierry Henry or whatever, probably would have been a bit older than him, but still, just he was just encapsulated by watching Ronaldo do his thing and I just thought you know when I have a son one day I'd love to be able to take him to see whoever the great is Raheem Sterling or you know yeah. Phil Foden maybe who knows so yeah that was just a wonderful experience uh, another one weirdly enough you know considering I've been all around Europe watching football it's a, a stadium that's t- a 10 minute walk from my house Charlton Athletic <laughs> so I went to see they they were playing Doncaster in the League One playoff semi final. So a couple of years back now, and uh, it was second leg. Long story short, you know Charlton went through on penalties, but I just sensed something in the crowd. You know they were they, Charlton bought a few flares. There was real atmosphere. You know they were sort of it was almost like Charlton were against Doncaster, but they were against yet again their dodgy owners. You know Dulache and the Belgian crew and all that sort of thing. And as the final penalty kick went in for Charlton, there was just this huge pitch invasion. And I sort of got swept up in it. It was on the pitch, you know. Don't support Charlton. Had no have no feelings for him whatsoever. But just being part of that one of those euphoric moments that I can imagine a Charlton fan would tell his grandkids down the line, you know, is 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 quite something. And I guess another one that really sticks out to me is just in January, in fact, I went to the San Siro to see uh, Inter versus uh, Atalanta running a mill sort of Serie A match, you know, it was nice to see Inter under Conte with uh, Lautaro Martinez and Lukaku and all that. And Atalanta were playing some scintillating attacking football. But, you know, the game finished 1-1. The game was relatively average, but there's a reason why the locals call it, call it the Scala del Calcio, you know, the theatre of football. It, it's, for my money, it's the best stadium in the world. And it is an absolute crime that they're, they're probably going to knock it down and yeah. build a new one. It shouldn't be done, but just walking in and just taking this majestic stadium with its, you know, sort of curved turrets. I think the Etihad have tried to copy and just the, the steel and the lights. And it honestly, it was, it was like it was, it was like coming to God moment. You know, it's just unbelievable. And I'll never forget that just standing high up in the San Siro. And, but yeah, I just those are the memories, really, that I just I love making. If you have to put put on the San Siro there, you have to put your finger on one thing that makes it so unique. What what would you say it was? Oh, it's a good question. I think the, the sheer size of it. I mean, like I said, I've been to Wembley and the Allianz in Munich, and Wembley's certainly bigger, but it's, it just has this. It's so square, and it really just takes over the the sort of horizon you know once you're walking up to it you can see it from a good mile away but also like I say I grew up watching football Italian and you've seen you know all the greats Latam playing there you know Rijkaard, Hullet, you know Ronaldo the original Ronaldo and 
who Ronaldo's probably played there. And it's just got this this majesty. I think it was around in the 1920s, you know, all the, the great teams of AC and Inter have both played there. I just, I think it's got this, this legend to it that not really, there ain't that many stadiums, I think, that have that sort of mystique to it. That you, you, It's just this palpable atmosphere when you walk in and it doesn't matter if it's a, a mid-table, mid-table Serie A team playing it's just it's got something you know so to answer your question I can't put it into words but yeah. it's, it's, it is a wonderful place I think I know what you mean because I did Roma a couple of years ago with Liverpool in the semi-final of the Champions League going to the Olympico I, I, I get that same feeling it's like the aura of the stadium because you know it being oval and it was just yeah it's hard to put your finger on exactly what it is but there's a there's something in the atmosphere there's something in the air that makes it you know, so old school and so legendary, I suppose, is the word. I think Italy have a lot of that because a lot of their stadiums are sort of owned by the municipality they're in, you know, where Juventus, one of the reasons why they got such a competitive advantage is they, they own and built their own stadium. And I know there's now a drive, this sort of foreign investment into the Italian game, and they see that as a really, really good thing. As a, as a traditionalist of the stadium, you know, I, I don't, but I, I understand why the money makers want to get it. I mean, I've been lucky enough to go to Sampdoria, the Stadio Luigi Ferrari, and that is just, again, a wonderful, wonderful stadium. Been to Juventus Stadium, it's, it's okay, but there's not those, those memories there ingrained in every seat, you know. But you can't get in the way of progress, so I'm told. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic way to finish the pod there, mate. You've definitely seen some sights. So uh, before you go, just a massive thank you for coming on and giving your time up. No, Mike, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you haven't already, please subscribe, follow and share. And of course, leave a five-star rating.